Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Oh, beauty. My name is Carl and I'm one of the pastors here from City Reach. We're going to be in Ephesians 5 this morning, so why don't you open up your Bibles to Ephesians 5 this morning. We're continuing on in our series called Awaken, where Paul calls the church to wake up. He says to them that you've been saved by the gospel and now it's time to continue to live in the pattern of the gospel. It's time to wake up. So we should ask ourselves this morning, are we awake to all that God wants to do in us? Are we awake to all that God wants to do through us? But perhaps for some of you, the idea of being told to wake up isn't too friendly an image. I'm thinking of someone in the room that might be you know, a, a parent of a newborn that's functioning on three hours of broken sleep. You know that experience? Being told to wake up is like the worst news that you could receive. We've all had that experience before where we've had that morning trip. You know, we've had to get up really early. We go to bed at the right time, but it just does not work out. And we lie in bed for hour after hour after hour and eventually fall asleep. But it's like as quick as we fell asleep, the alarm's gone off. You wake up and you feel sick. Perhaps the idea of being told to wake up feels more like a curse than it does a blessing. But really, when Paul writes, he's not angry at his church community. Uh, The Ephesians were a group of people that he really loved. He wanted them to be blessed. He wanted them to experience the blessing of being awake to all God wanted to do through them. God, uh, through the words of Paul, wanted them to be blessed. Perhaps when you think about um, in Ephesians 5 where Paul says this, Awake, O sleeper, verse 14. He says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Perhaps the image that might be helpful here is not someone who's experiencing great rest, someone who's lying down in a peaceful slumber, but maybe a sleepwalker. In this uh, section of Scripture from verse 1 to 18, we have Paul teaching us how to walk. What we see here is that there is a kind of walking that we can do that means that we're not awake to all that God wants to do in us and awake to all that God wants to do through us. And Paul does believe that no matter our circumstances, that we can live in such a way that we can experience life life in all of its fullness. Amen? So we can be in a job that feels like more of a routine than a pleasure. We might have started university this year and we're looking down the barrel of four years of study. Might be in a relationship that is challenging and what we know through the Word of God is that it is possible to be awake or to be what Paul would describe as being fully alive to all that God would want to do through us. So we need to ask ourselves this morning, are we awake? Are we fully alive? We learned in the first week of this series that to be fully awake, we need to learn how to be thankful We learned last week that to be fully awake to God, we need to learn how to make wise choices over foolish choices. And this morning, uh, we're going to learn the power of spirit-filled living. So you might like to look down in your Bibles, and we're going to start off looking at verse 18 in chapter 5 this morning. And so beginning in uh, verse 18, it says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. So let's start this morning with the question, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Because this is a peculiar verse. It is a peculiar verse. He starts off by saying, and do not get drunk, 
but be filled with the Spirit? Is he comparing being drunk to being filled by the Spirit? Is he just condemning getting drunk and he's changing tactics and just changing his conversation? Or is there something completely different happening here? Well, you've got three options, all of which are possible, but only one of those options is both possible and probable. The first option that we have is that um, the Ephesians were a bunch of drunks. Now, the reason why that we don't necessarily need to run to this as a very good argument is because to believe that the Ephesians were a, a bunch of drunks, we would need to discount the regular attitude that Paul has to condemning behavior that was ungodly. If you know anything about Paul, Paul was not shy and, is, and reserved in his condemnation of ungodly behavior. If you were to look through the letter of Corinthians, you will see um, whole chapters devoted to condemning ungodly behavior. Paul took issue with the Corinthians. Paul took issue with the Galatians. The whole book of Galatians is Paul's charge against the Galatians. It really doesn't make too much sense at all that if the Ephesians were a bunch of drunks, that Paul devotes just four words to the issue of being drunk. It is possible that the Ephesians were drunk, but it is really not that probable at all. A second option is that um, Paul was speaking into an issue that was certainly around in the ancient world where, where it was this um, Gentile worship of the pagan god Dionysus. And Dionysus was um, a god of wine. And so what people would do to worship this god of wine is that they would involve themselves in these sexual rituals and they would use wine to heighten the experience. And so perhaps Paul is speaking into this issue that was going on with um, Gentile Christians. Now, the reason that we know anything about Dionysus at all is through other ancient writings. And we can be pretty sure that Paul isn't directly speaking about this, although it's much more plausible than the previous argument. It's because Paul just doesn't mention Dionysus at all. To believe that he's arguing about Dionysus here would really be putting words directly in his mouth. It's much more acceptable and, and reasonable to believe argument number three and that Paul is using what is called a negative illustration to make a very simple point. What do we know about people that get drunk? People that get drunk give over control to alcohol. If a person is drunk, they don't have part of their body that is drunk. A person that has drunk so much alcohol that they're slurring their words uh, isn't going to be great behind the wheel of a car. Handing over total control to alcohol, Paul makes this very specific, although admittedly jarring point, that he is calling for us to completely hand over our lives to the Spirit. Not part of our lives, not half of our lives, not the good portion of our lives, but to hand over total control. Uh, when I was um, back uh, a few years ago, uh, I worked in a boys' prison, and there was two boys' prisons in Adelaide, one at Cavern and one in McGill, and the one at McGill since closed down, and now there's two in Cavern. And I used to work in Cavern, and Cavern was where all the boys were sent that had long-term sentences. And so there was this predictable routine about what would happen day by day because everyone had been there for so long. It was a predictable routine. In the seven months that I was there, we had three incidences, and that's uh, incidents. And that's, um, that's pretty good for a prison, right? I hated being called to work in McGill. It was a really strange experience where McGill, if you've ever been there, is beautiful. You drive to the top of this hill where the prison used to be. It is beautiful, and that's why they shut it down and sold it off to make houses. And the reason why I hated working there was because uh, when young people are first arrested, they take them to McGill, and they're often intoxicated. 
When they're intoxicated, it, it is a totally unpredictable environment, and you'll have many incidents every single day because young people have handed over total control to alcohol. And in the same way, Paul is calling for us not to hand over a portion of our lives to the Holy Spirit, but that we might yield total control over to the Holy Spirit. See, if I was to get um, a big glass of milk here, and I was to pour uh, chocolate in the top of this milk, and it were to go through this milk, you would actually not get chocolate milk yet, right? You would just have milk with a whole bunch of chocolate right at the bottom. It's really strange to use this illustration to talk about God and the Spirit, but it is true that the Holy Spirit has made a difference in all of our lives, but it is not true that he's made all the difference that he wants to make. So when the Holy Spirit comes on the life of the believer, we learn in Ephesians 1 that the Holy Spirit guarantees our salvation. He seals our salvation. So it is not possible for a Christian to be saved and then have a moment of doubt and then be unsaved and then become saved again and then unsaved after that. You do not lose your salvation if you're a Christian. That is because of the power and the working of the Holy Spirit. But it is not true that that is all that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. Amen? The Holy Spirit wants to take total control of our lives. If I was to stir this milk and so the chocolate were to move around, it would be indistinguishable where the milk finishes and the chocolate begins. What the Holy Spirit wants for our lives is that he would move in such a way that our lives would be indistinguishable from the Holy Spirit. So that if I was loving and I was caring and I was kind, I wouldn't be the one getting the glory, but God would be the one getting the glory. So it wouldn't be my strength and my effort that would be getting the result. But it is actually true that in my weakness, God is strong. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, and He is the one that gets all the glory. And He's the one that gets all the glory. That's what point, Paul's point is, and we need to be careful not to point, uh, push Paul's point further that he intends to go. Um, being filled of the Holy Spirit is not about having an out-of-control experience where we actually lose control of our mind, right? To be filled with the Holy Spirit is actually to gain control of our minds. It is not for me to have this out-of-body experience. It is not for me to have this soundtrack of great is thy faithfulness running through my head. The Bible actually says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 17, it says, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. It is actually gaining control of our mind. So, being filled with the Spirit isn't this crazy experience where we would lose control of our body and our bodies would flail around on the floor. But it's also true that being full of the Spirit isn't us just doing all the work and the Holy Spirit getting all the credit. The Holy Spirit actually wants to do something quite incredible in our lives. And it is true that when, um, when it comes to understanding the Bible, um, you don't always need to know the Greek to be able to help you get there, the original language that the New Testament was written in. You don't always need to know the Greek. But there are certain times where understanding Greek and certainly understanding technical aspects of Greek helps. And this is one of those occasions. So what we're going to do is we're going to make a technical statement and then we're going to make it real simple, real quick. When um, Paul speaks to the Ephesians, he says that he wants them to be filled with the Spirit. And when he says this, in Greek, he is making a plural passive present imperative. And this is going to become real simple, real quick for you, right? It is a plural passive present 
imperative. So first off, to be filled with the Spirit is an imperative. It's a command. The good news is that when God gives you a command, that means that it is able to be accomplished. God would never ever ask you to do something that you were unable to do. If God commanded you to do something and you were unable to do it, then you'd be disobeying God and God would be leading you into sin. And we know that that is not our God. Every single command that you see in Scripture is able to be accomplished. It's a command that God makes possible. Secondly, the command is plural. It applies to everyone. It applies to everyone. So when Paul wrote this letter, they often call Ephesians a, a, a letter that circulates, right? A circulating letter, meaning that it was passed around from church to church to church. And so when Paul sends this letter around, he's not saying that pastors and apostles and, and shepherds and teachers and evangelists can be filled with the Spirit. He's saying that everyone can be full of the Spirit. The 14-year-old boy that gets saved at youth ministry on a Friday night, the young person that gets saved in children's ministry can be full of the Spirit. The the 40-year-old laborer that's working with no Christians around him can all be full of the Spirit. Being filled in the Spirit with the Spirit isn't a magical goal for elite Christians, but it's actually available for everyone. It is a plural, it applies to everyone. Thirdly, it is also a passive command, meaning that you're not the one that does the filling. That means is you can certainly get in the way of God desiring to fill you, and you can certainly help get, get out of the way and allow God to fill you, but you are not the one that does the filling. And I think of the person in this room that has tried to evangelize to different people at different times and feels so uh, ill-equipped so ill-informed, so inadequate. That's why it says in Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that you could ask or imagine. Now to him who is able to do it, right? Not you, not how clever you are. See, I used to think that evangelism was trying to convince everyone outside the church to understand how culturally relevant the church is. No, come to my church, it's cool. Come to my church, we sing cool songs. But the good news of evangelism is so much better than that. When we do evangelism, we're trying to connect people to the living God. So the more that I live my life in such a way that I would be filled and overflowing with the Spirit, the more opportunity people have to encounter God and not encounter a cultural movement. This command to be filled with the Spirit is passive. It happens to you. Lastly, the command is also a present command. It's in the present tense. Some translations have it, some don't, because it's a bit clunky in in English. In English, it really should be saying, be being filled, or be continuously filled. The command here is to be continuously filled with the Spirit. In the book of Acts, you'll see that there is one baptism that happens to believers upon salvation and many fillings. So through your life, the command is to be continuously filled with the Spirit. What does that really mean for us? It means that we shouldn't be too quick to say that we are filled with the Spirit. We can certainly still be saved. We can certainly still be Christians. We can certainly certainly still say that we're loved by God. But we shouldn't be too quick to say that the Spirit has filled us. It may mean that you're not allowing the Spirit of God to fill you to overflowing, which is God's desire for every single believer. The command that Paul gives to be filled with the Spirit is plural. It is 
for everyone. It is passive. It happens to you. It's present tense. It's continuous. It's an imperative. It's commanded. See, Greek is easy. Greek is easy. So let's put these pieces of these puzzle together. What does Paul mean when he says, do not be drunk but be filled with the Spirit? He means every Christian is to continuously hand over control of our lives to the Spirit. Continuously hand over control of our lives to the Spirit. And, and unlike being drunk, that causes a life of suffering and causes a life of bondage, the result of being continuously filled by the Spirit and handing over control of your life to the Spirit is fruit. That the Spirit would work in you in such a way that you would experience love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And these aren't your own doing. It's the Spirit of God moving in you so that you would experience all that God has for you. So that you would be awakened to all that God has for you. So that you would be alive for all that God has for you. There's this kind of spirituality called deism that argues that God, sure, he created the world, but now he has nothing to do with the world. It's a person that has come in this morning that thinks that God couldn't possibly be interested in my loneliness. God uh, couldn't possibly be interested in my heartache. God couldn't possibly be interested in my dreams. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Being full of the Spirit, Paul reminds them, is God wanting to come into your life, not to hang this weight around your neck, but to liberate you. If you've gone through work this week, or you're in a family situation, or you're at university, and you feel this dryness inside your soul, don't be that person that thinks that God has bigger problems for you. That God has bigger problems than the problems in your life. The truth is that God is full of grace and full of mercy and longs to pour out His Spirit upon His children. So we should ask, how do I continuously hand over control to the Holy Spirit? How do I continuously hand over control to the Holy Spirit? Well, look down at verse 18 again. He writes, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And so the question we need to ask is, um, is verse 19 the cause or the effect of being full of the Spirit? Is singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs the cause? And so if you sing, you are filled by the Spirit, or are you filled by the Spirit and then you sing? Well, the answer is both. The great news is as we dwell on the gospel by singing praises to our God, our hearts are filled by the Spirit of God, who then brings about more worship in our lives that leads us to praise God even more. It's a cycle. So the more that you come into worship, or you worship uh, together corporately, or you worship at your own, or you worship driving your car, the more that you think upon gospel truths and remind yourself of the greatness of God, the more that you repent from idols, the Spirit of God is allowed to fill you in your life so that you might give God even more worship that results in you wanting to dwell on His gospel truths even more. The more that you dwell on the gospel, the more that God is able to fill you by His Spirit. How do we know this? We know this because uh, this passage has a parallel passage in uh, Colossians 3.16. A parallel passage is a passage that is similar to the passage that you're studying by the same writer that illuminates the text that you're reading. 
And so in Colossians 3.16, Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Paul has this idea of gospel truths dwelling in us in such a way that they would be in an abundance to the believer. That that would be in an abundance. Uh, you remember the comparison of um, getting drunk. Uh, James McDonald makes the point that to get drunk uh, in the ancient times, there wasn't enough alcohol in wine. You had to keep drinking and drinking and drinking far more than you would today. So in this admittedly quite jarring illustration that Paul gives, he's calling us to keep drinking on the word of Christ. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you, not in a small way, but to dwell in you richly. What do we know about rich people? Is that they've got more money than they know what to do with. There are these uh, um, characters on YouTube. Now, I don't know if you've seen them, but they travel around comparing the cheapest version of food to the most expensive version of food that they can find. Uh, I've seen them. They try a $4 burger and compare it with an $800 burger. They uh, try a $27 piece of cake versus an $1,100 piece of cake. And they try a $2 pizza versus a $2,000 pizza. And this whole, uh, this whole industry of fine food is able to be there because rich people have more money than they know what to do with, right? Paul has this picture of Christians walking around with so much of the word of Christ in them that they have an excess of the word of Christ. That in every situation where we would be going through a trial or tribulation, that we wouldn't always need to run to the concordance of our Bible, but that we would have the word of Christ dwell in our heart. That would be speaking truth that would be on the tip of our lips because we're so deep in God's word. I love speaking to people like Pastor Timon and Pastor Jeff who have been dwelling on the word of God for so long that it comes out in conversation. They don't need to go and find it. Paul has this picture that it would dwell within us. As we, as we continue to dwell on it, on the word of God, that God would continue to fill us by his spirit. That's why Charles Spurgeon said, a Bible that's falling apart is usually owned by someone who isn't. That's why someone else was known as saying, don't say God doesn't speak to you when your Bible is closed. God longs to flourish in your life. God longs for you to continuously be filled by the Spirit. And it starts by letting the Word of Christ dwell richly within you. It starts by, you want to be filled with the Spirit? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. It also happens by surrendering your will. We run into real, real problems when we hand over uh, our worship to the idols of control and complacency. Look down in your Bibles at verse 20. It says, giving thanks always and for everything to, the God, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this uh, command to be filled with the Spirit isn't good advice from a neighbor, good advice from a friend or a blog you read online. Paul is really committed to this title of calling Jesus Lord. And so often in Scripture, you see him tie Lord and Savior together. It's a really helpful illustration for the ancient churches. Caesar would call himself Lord and Saviour. And then so Paul is trying to get them to understand that he is like Caesar in that he is Lord and Saviour, but he's actually altogether different. He is an altogether different Lord and Saviour. It is true that Caesar and Jesus had power, but Caesar does not have power like Jesus. 
The kind of Jesus power, the kind of power that Jesus has was altogether di- different. Jesus' power has no rival, it has no equal. It was not power that shrunk when circumstances became challenging. To the Ephesians, they knew that Caesar had plans, but Jesus' plans were altogether different. Caesar's plans was to constrain and to constrict. Jesus' plan was to liberate. It wasn't to bring you into bondage, but it was to free you from bondage. To the Ephesians, they knew that Caesar and Jesus were both saviors, but Jesus is an altogether different saviour. Amen? Caesar would save people and you would live the rest of your life in a prison thinking that at any moment you could be thrown to the lions. Jesus is the kind of saviour that wants us to experience life in all of its fullness. That we would be saved by the gospel and that we would continue on in gospel living. That we would surrender our lives to Jesus. I do think it's true that uh, for some people, they fear putting uh, their hope in God because we've made it too mysterious and too mystic what it means to put our hope in God. We say things like, uh, let go and let God, or Jesus take the wheel, and we have no idea what it means. The idea of submitting to God or yielding to God is actually much like the picture of a, a teacher and a student. So when it comes to a marriage that is in a crisis... Are you going to let your own emotions or your own idea of control or your own pride be the wind in your sail or are you going to let the word of Christ shape your life? What God has to say about marriage, what God promises you about fruit. You might be in a situation where you've shared your faith and you now, you, you now feel like you can't share your faith anymore because it's gone so badly and now you're struck by fear. Are you going to let fear be your wind in the sail? Or are you going to believe what the Bible says about declaring your faith with boldness and declaring your faith with courage? And in that moment, God will give you every single word that you need to be full of the Spirit. God desires for every single person. And it's true at many times that I do worship at the altar of comfort, control and complacency. What the Spirit of God wants for us is that we will be filled by the Spirit by dwelling on the word of Christ by surrendering our lives to the Lord Jesus. And we also do it, we are also filled by the Spirit when we ask the Spirit of God to empower us to do it. In Ephesians 3, we see Paul praying for the Ephesians that they might be strengthened to comprehend how wide and how deep, how the breadth of the gospel God actually, this is the grace of God, that God commands us to do something and then he gives us the very strength to do it. When I think about being invited to pray, I can't help but get this picture of a father and their child and the child knows nothing else but to go to the father for everything that they want. That's the invitation that we have from God. But sadly, what often happens for Christians is that we believe that we've received our quota of grace and our quota is now run dry. Nothing could be further from the truth. Bible says in John 14, verse 26, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. That helper is the Holy Spirit. And then in John 1, 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the Father and his Father is full of grace and truth. Full of grace. God's grace does not run dry. It doesn't matter this morning 
what is on your resume. If you are breathing this morning, then God's grace can extend to you. No matter your background, no matter what you've done to others, no matter what has been done to you, God is full of grace and is full of truth that he longs for you to be part of his family. He longs for you to be full of his spirit, continuously filled by his spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is not just that the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, seals you, guarantees your salvation, but the Holy Spirit actually teaches you to walk every day by his grace. Uh, I was speaking to the young adults recently and I remembered uh, this story that I once heard about these 23 missionaries who were captured by the Taliban in South Korea. And uh, this situation had become significantly serious, as it is with the Taliban. And these, out of these 23 missionaries, a couple of those missionaries were executed. And over the next season, while they were trying to strike this deal with uh, South Korea... Um, the missionaries were all split up and they had this one Bible between them that they tore pages out and smuggled to each person so that they could um, just have a bit of the word of Christ to dwell on. And he describes this scene in their captivity where they were um, actually arguing with each other over who would be willing to give their life first. They said it was not their own strength, it was not their own wisdom, it wasn't this vain pursuit of being a hero, but it was actually, they confessed, the Spirit of God had moved in them. What was interesting for one of those pastors as they struck this deal and months afterwards, as he was back home with his in his house with his family, he said that there was a part of him that just yearned to be back there. And the pastor asked him, why, why do you yearn to be back there? And he said, uh, because when I was in captivity, all I had was the Holy Spirit. And now I live every day of my life and I can see the idol of comfort calling me. I see the idol of complacency calling me. I see the idol of control calling me. I wish to be back in a place where the Spirit was filling my life and I was leaning on the Spirit daily. And the invitation to all of us this morning is, will you wake up? Will you be alive to all that the Spirit wants to do through you, that He enables by His grace? It's not a work of your own strength this morning, friends. You don't need to be strong. You actually need to acknowledge that you're weak and receive this free gift of the Spirit by His Saviour. I would love to pray for you if you'd like to bow your head and close your eyes. God, we long to be a people that are full of your Spirit. We long to be a, a people that are continuously filled by your Spirit. God, I acknowledge that there are many times that I worship at idols that are no real God at all. The idols of comfort and complacency and control. And God, we long to be the kind of people that would be resting on the truth of your grace. And Lord, I pray for any person that's come in here this morning and the idea of being told to wake up just feels like work, just feels like... Uh, a heavy burden on their shoulders. God, I pray that the helper this morning would comfort those who need comfort, would strengthen those who need strength, would bring peace to those who need peace. For those who need to be loved, I pray that by your Spirit, you would show them that you love them. God, we pray that we would not be a people that move moment by moment from the idols of this world, but that we would move moment by moment through a filling of your spirit.